0: A reading from the book of Moses called Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 11. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured procession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the people, those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He real, will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and statutes and the rules that I command you today." A reading from the Psalm of David, Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. A reading from the Gospel according to John, John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Galatians two fifteen through 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be, will be justified. Galatians two twenty through 21, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for it is righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Galatians 3, 1-3. O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? These are the words of our Lord.
1: So let's get into today's message. Um, Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity series, GCF 19 and 20, Uh, Because we have taught this material at various venues uh, in the past, especially at Wright State, I think we did. Uh, We got of the 15 emphases, we got through about six of them at Wright State or five of them over a three-year period. And what we're trying to do is, I'm trying to do this as a very abridged series. So last week we looked at the first of the 15 emphases. Uh, Chapter one, so to speak, was called "Loving God," and um, I just wanted to reiterate that um, when we taught this at Wright State, I did about five two to two and a half hour messages, so a total of around 12 hours on what it meant to love God. And so last week, you got 40 minutes of what it means to love God. And although I tried to be uh, pick out some of the most important points, loving God is a big topic and it's a big source of confusion today. Uh, we have everything, you know, we have bumper stickers that say, I love Jesus and I love French fries, or I love my schnauzer, or, or you know, I love the New England Patriots, God forbid, but, not uh, <laughs> threw that one in for Logan, but, uh, you know, so what love means uh, can be anything from lust to, to, uh, I kind of feel pretty good about it, or, you know, it, it just can mean so many different things. And what we want to make sure we uh, spend some time thinking about is, do we really love God? God's goal, the Bible says that we love because he first loved us. So the thing we stressed the most last week was that God initiates the relationship, much like the source of light uh, in, our, in our solar system comes from the sun, And and the sun is actually a type of Christ in scriptures, whereas the moon is a type of the church. Because just like children reflect back the love they've received, but in a less perfect and less mature way, so we love God less perfectly than we should. And the goal that God has is for us to know more clearly His love uh, and more fully and more completely so that we can love him back more truly. And that's why Jesus puts qualifier, qualifiers on things like in John 15, uh, whoever loves me and keeps my, my commandments is the one who loves me. Whoever keeps my commandments is the one who loves me, and so forth. Um, so love is uh, loving God, uh, I'm not going to review any more of last week, but I do want to encourage you, uh, if you missed last week, uh, you can always uh, send Stephen an email. Get the get the outline, and they are uh, we are not putting these on the normal um, place in the podcast that says uh, what is it called Sunday Sunday well, Bible study Sunday Bible studies nine thirty. What's the ten thirty called? Sermon of the week. Uh, we're actually creating a whole different category that's going to say Restoration of Biblical Christianity. 19 and 20 for the you know for what years that it'll be So they'll be easy to find in in order whether they're spoken at 930 or 1030 And I would encourage you that this what this is one of the four or five series that I'm going to share uh, That really contain the vision of what we're trying to do at Grace Christian Fellowship I think it would be a tragedy to attend this church and not embrace the goals of the church right? So, uh, most of what I've always taught historically, and you know, in this church, I haven't actually taught that much at 1030, because I focused a lot on raising up new guys and so forth, but I'm going to teach at 1030 for a few years here, uh, to make sure we all have one clear purpose and vision in mind. And rethinking Rediscovering, rethinking, doing, studying, examining, asking ourselves, is the biblical Christianity in our day, really all that biblical, is an is a urgent, urgent need? Uh, you know, I, I attended the uh, prayer meeting that a lot of the people have at 8.30 downstairs. I, would, I of course, was late. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, toward the end of the prayer meeting, uh, one of our most wonderful saints was praying and she was crying because she was, like, burdened with, Lord, there's so much to restore. And I thought, wow, that's, that is so much the heart of what, uh, the reason God pours out His Spirit is to lead us and guide us into all truth. As 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, the Spirit of God searches all things, even the depth in the heart of God the purpose of getting baptized in the Spirit is not just so you can enjoy a prayer language uh, and speak in tongues and so forth. The purpose of getting baptized in the Spirit is so you can have the spirit of a pioneer inside yourself that always wants more of God. You know, I uh, have had a lot of compliments in my life that I don't really deserve, because uh, people sometimes think you're more spiritual than you are, I try to keep you thinking that. But <laughs> but, but uh, uh, they used to say of me, Brother Greg is never satisfied. And, you know, I hope that you would catch that. Like, I, uh, there's a way in which you're thankful and satisfied based on what God has done for us, but there's a way in which you should always hunger and thirst for more of God. And to understand more of his uh, heart, more of his ways, more of his plans. And those are different things. When I pray, I pray, God, let me know your ways. And that means, how does he take a person, or how does he take a, a group of people, a body of Christians, a church, and how does he take them on a journey from Egypt to the promised land? That, that there's to understand like what happens a lot to us is God is doing things in our life and we don't recognize what he's doing so we don't get the most out of it. We're not thankful for the test in the trials. Every test, every temptation is a God gift to you. It's an opportunity to learn how to walk in the power of his resurrection you if you're beset by many weaknesses and temptations and so forth, blessed are you if you're if you have a lot of things like that um going on um, it's actually not like we tend to think sometimes that things certain things are negative they're an actual positive you know like God sent Officer Diaz to me. <laughs> and uh, I guess he had a message of, don't drive 50 in a 35 on Kemp Road, but, uh, which I received with grace and joy. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, uh, you know, knowing God's ways is one thing, but knowing his heart is another. Knowing his law is another. Because when you know his law, you know his values. And often in our life, a a problem that we have is we don't value things the way God values them. We have a different pecking order of what we value. And things that God puts no value on at all, we put great value on. And that's a problem. And some things that God values or esteems highly, we don't put enough value on. And that's a problem. So, you know, praying that God would uh, let us know his, uh, what he, like I I always pray every day, God, help me love what you love and hate what you hate. And God doesn't hate people, but he does hate certain ideas, certain uh, values, certain things that are destructive and so forth. All right, so that's a little bit of review of last week. Uh, this week, we are going to go to chapter 2, and we're going to look at the subject grace. Uh, grace-based versus performance-based approaches. And we, and I added from start to finish. Because as uh, the, uh, some of the scriptures we read point out, uh, what ha- often happens, he, Paul is talking to the Galatians, he says, Oh foolish Galatians, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? We act often, what happens is people uh, come to a level by God's grace of seeing the depth of their sin. Then so we see our, see our need for a total Savior. We see that we cannot help or rescue ourselves. And we throw ourselves on the mercy of the court. And then God gives us a cleansing, a cathartic type experience. And we're made righteous and, and right before him. And we start a relationship for, uh, with him. And then we subtly, gradually, as God is blessing us, we begin to take over running the ship again. That, Thank you, Lord, for rescuing me. I'll, I'll take it from here. That's what we do, right? Uh, having, we start in the spirit. But then we somehow shift to perfecting ourselves when it says the flesh. Uh, N.E.T. translates that something like the human condition. We we um, we trans- transfer to doing it by our initiation and by our works and by our efforts, and that will get you nowhere. So that's what, what we're going to look at today is the difference between being grace-based in our approach to God and being performance-based in our approach to God. So the first thing we're going to start with is defining performance-based approaches to justification, to righteousness, and to right standing, and, and even just a performance-based approach to living, to life, to how we try to walk with, in life with God. And um, one of the things we need to see is there are various things that cause us to want to be performance-based, and these are deep things that you're not going to kick that easily. They have to be crucified. Uh, You can't just get reformed a little bit or get a little counseling or straighten the furniture around the house a little bit the whole house has to be knocked down and a new foundation has to be laid. The, you know, the, the depth of the change that has to happen has to be, if you're using remodeling as a, as a metaphor for it, it would actually start at, at tearing out the old foundation and laying in a new foundation. And then all the framing and stud walls and all that would have to be rebuilt. We're not talking just moving a little furniture around and doing a little cleaning of the bathroom before some guests come over. We, we want to do that shallow of a work, but that shallow of a work will never cut it. And so one of the things we need to know, it's not in the notes, so I'll give it to you, no extra charge, is there are things deep inside of you that wants to be performance-based in our approach to God. God our own human pride wants to, to stand before God based on our own good works and, so, and we want to somehow be better than other people. And that, that's the biggest trap of all time. And that goes ve- very far back in human history. It started in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve sinned and they became aware that they were naked because before in Genesis 2, it says they were naked and not ashamed. Now, in all ancient literature, the ancient literature of Mesopotamia, of uh, the uh the ancient Chinese literature that goes back to 3000 B.C. or so, nakedness is a universal symbol of shame. Now, we flaunt nakedness and rejoice in, it in our culture and stuff because we're a culture that's shameless. Uh, we're a pretty perverted culture, but the truth of the matter is, is that uh, the beauty of what Adam and Eve had before sin entered is they were, bo- they were created married, and they were created for sexual love and, and to be naked and to enjoy being naked with each other, and, and, you, and that's one of the great enjoyments of marriage. However, uh, when, when they sinned, their eyes were opened, and they saw their guilt and shame, and guess what? they didn't take that to God. They tried to so- solve the problem themselves, right? Right? They sewed fig leaves together and tried to make coverings for themselves. And I, some of you uh, make clothes and are seamstresses and so forth, and you probably know that fig leaf clothing won't last very long. <laughs> it's not going to do an adequate job. The fig leaves will take about a day or so to die. And it's all downhill from there. (laughs) So, uh, but God foreshadowed the coming of Christ by uh, clothing them with animal skins. Now, hopefully you have thought this through before. But animal skins require the slaying of an animal in order to get the skins. You can't skin an animal without killing it. And it foreshadowed that blood had to be shed for the, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so it was a great foreshadowing of Christ in, Ge- in Genesis chapter 2. Long before, some people think that the proto-evangel in Genesis 3.15 is the first foreshadowing of Christ in the Bible, but actually Adam and Eve themselves are foreshadowings of Christ and, and uh, God providing skins for them is a great foreshadowing of Christ. Now, so with that in mind, you know, again, performance-based thinking is rooted deep in our sin nature, so it's natural to us without, we have to kill it. Performance-based thinking is rooted deep in almost all religions and approaches to God. And many versions of Christianity are very performance-based, So let's talk a little bit uh, about what that is. Performance-based approaches to God are characterized by self-initiated and self-empowered attempts attempts to live justly or righteously before God. I'm going to try harder. Read the Bible more, fast more, whatever. The, the, The list of what you might do to try harder vary. But the root of it is self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is loathom, loathsome to God uh, because it it's, it's, uh, gets you nowhere except uh, vainglory. To live by performance-based Christianity leads to various degrees or various shades of vainglory or self-righteousness. One of the ways you'll know that, if that you have that, is you'll not be very gracious in your heart to, uh, to sinners. You know, the, someone confesses their sin and you go, oh! You know, uh, Galatians 6.1 reminds us, it says, you who are spiritual, those of you who are spiritually mature, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one, looking to yourself lest you too be tempted. Reminding, like when you are, if you're going to ever be effective in ministry at all, you have to realize the person you're helping is, need, needs your help less than you need help. Right? The key to good ministry is knowing I'm a total jerk. <laughs> I'm a loser. I'm a sinner. I have had false motivations, I've had bad attitudes, I've had self-righteousness, I've had procrastination, I've had various lusts and and greeds and evil desires, I need a Savior. And so whatever you're dealing with is less than what I've dealt with. And you can actually grow up in, the, in what our world sees as a goody two-shoes and come to realize that about yourself. You don't have to have been a chainsaw murderer or a drug addict or anything like that. All you have to realize is that, uh, you know, one of the most powerful testimonies I've heard in this church, you know, we have all kind of people like Mr. Bradbury or Stephen Leopold or myself or Nathan Hager, who we like to, when we're kidding around, like we like to debate about who was the worst sinner. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm glad for them to win, actually, uh, <laughs> if, if, if they want. But the truth of the matter is, the, you know, the most powerful testimony I've heard was in my living room when Melody Burks told me that she was before God in prayer and she was thinking about Luke 18, the, the parable of the publican and the tax gatherer, or the Pharisee and the publican, and the publican's a tax gatherer, and she realized that God showed her that she was more like the Pharisee than she was like the tax gatherer. And guess what? Every one of us should needs that experience. Every one of us has things in our heart that say, I thank thee, God, that I'm not like other men. I go to Grace Christian Fellowship, that radical church. (laughs) God help us Uh, you know so the fact is uh, all of us come to Christ pathetically sinful right and therefore we should be able to deal graciously and gently with no matter what anyone's facing because they're except by the grace of God go us right so the you know, very first statement is performance-based is characterized by self-initiated, self-empowered in, in attempts to live justly or righteously, and it will lead to vainglory and self-righteousness. In fact, you'll have two competing things going in, on inside yourself all the time, and you should look for these. If you, if you're, if you have these, then you're not walking by grace, you're walking by performance-based. You can diagnose whether you're walking in grace or performance based any day and every day by if you're judgmental toward other people like oh they're terrible. You know. You know may God by his grace bring you know people like I love when God brings a pr- people that like have a whole different level of sin than I've ever like you only killed 23 people. Okay. We can work with that, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, beca- because that's who we are. We're, we're, our sin problem is way deeper than we know. And so people ought to be, be able to be honest around us because we've done worse. And I don't care if you're an Eagle Scout, you've done worse. Now, the other thing that'll happen is besides being judgmental toward others, you'll feel feel this dichotomy of you'll feel self-righteous about yourself and you'll feel self-condemned all the time because you know that you actually don't live up to your own performance-based standards. Right? That's why there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. One of the things I try to do when I'm working with people who may be taking a big wrong turn, and they're paying a lot of bad consequences because of it, and they're trying to get back headed toward the Lord, as I said, Make it less about guilt and shame. Make it more about a God who loves you, wants you to be on a better path, because in, in the end, his goal is to give you more of Christ and, and to bless your life, and He wants to give you as much as he can without it destroying you. That's the problem, is like he wants to bless us a lot more than any of us have ever experienced, but he, need, but he needs to take us to, through humility therapy so we can handle that kind of blessing. Because success is actually a much greater test of your character than, than failures are. Some of us are, kind of stay in failure a lot and so forth, because we are, that's actually usually a sign that you're being performance-based. If you're grace-based, you'll have a lot more righteousness and peace and joy and the fruits of the Spirit and success and consistency and faithfulness. And you'll have to learn how to handle that while still leaning on Jesus just as much. And that's the essence of spiritual maturity. A spiritually mature person is... Living it better because they're not trusting in themselves anymore. They've learned how to trust in God, even when God's blessing them greatly. They've learned not to lean on their own understanding, but to trust in the Lord in all your heart. With all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He'll guide your paths. In Luke 16, 15, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourself before God, but God knows your hearts. So self-justification is an attitude of heart that is the deepest of sinful attitudes. It was the attitude of the, the elder brother in Luke chapter 15. In fact, Jesus, the whole parable that we call the prodigal son is not about the prodigal son at all. It's about the elder brother. And if you look at the context, the first two verses of the chapter, the Pharisees are criticizing Jesus because he is hanging around sinners. And so he speaks the parable, the three parables, the first one about the coins, the other one about the 99 sheep and leaving the one, and then the more developed one about what we call the prodigal son, because he's talking to the self-righteous Pharisees that are upset because Jesus is befriending sinners. And he said, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to come out, you know. I, that's why I've always kind of enjoyed one, one aspect of our church is we're, we're a little bit like the Isle of Misfit toys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a, like a Frosty and the Snowman deal. Uh, the, you know, I, I've always loved that the thing, the Isle of Misfit Toys. And I've thought, that's just like Grace Christian Fellowship. <laughs> you are, you're not qualified to be a member of this church until you see that you're a miserable sinner. And that you, do, you don't have one iota of righteousness in and of yourself your total salvation, you actually didn't even want to be saved. You were running from being saved. You know, part of Melody's testimony was that, you know, it's easy to stay as, as more of the Pharisee. Lots of us live there. I'm a pretty good person. I don't do drugs anymore, and I don't steal cars anymore. And I gave up killing people three weeks ago. And I, <laughs> I haven't had murder in my heart too much. (laughs) At least uh, I haven't let anyone know that I have it in my heart. (laughs) You know, right? We're full of self-righteousness. Luke 18, 9 through 14, and he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And they despised others. You can tell when you're trusting in yourself that you're righteous because you'll disdain other people. If you have harshness in your heart towards uh, your pastor, towards your roommate, towards your spouse, towards someone you work with, it's because you're trusting in yourself that you are righteous. That's why you have such high standards that you don't even live up to yourselves, but you're upset that this person is this way or that way that you work with or that pastors your church or that... uh, you know, that, or your, you know, your spouse or somebody, you're upset because you're trusting in yourself that you're righteous, so you're not very gracious toward their shortcomings. A mark of spiritual maturity is total graciousness toward people with big problems, like ourselves. So he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. They were righteous and they despised others. They disdained others, some translations say. They judged others. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a publican in the King James, tax collector in modern translations. And by the way, a tax collector was considered like today. Like if you work for the IRS, that's as low as it gets. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You know, no, that was because if you worked for the Romans collecting taxes, you were a traitor to your people. If anybody knows anything about World War II, you know after the Germans' blitzkrieg took over uh, France in just a, f- a couple weeks' time, they set up a puppet government that they ruled France with a heavy hand through French people. And it was called Vichy, France and most conquerors through history have done that. They set up a puppet government, and the puppet government are people who are traitors to their own people. So they're considered the lowest of the low. If you were a tax gatherer, that was way lower than a drug dealer, prostitute, whatever you think is, is, a, is I mean, to be a tax collector is, is uh, despicable. It's as low as it gets. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus to himself. That's why, or uh, thus with himself is New American Standard. God, and uh, by the way, con, uh, check this, compare these, these verses to, to the ESV and the NET. I think I actually put, this is thus with himself as New King James. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. What's the problem with that? We are like other men right? One of the uh, good things a, a man taught me when I was a little boy, I was, I'm one of the worst little league teams in the history of the world. We lost every game until the very last game we came back from behind to win. And because we'd lost 18 games in a row before this, and we finally won a game. We threw our gloves up in the air, and we were hugging each other. You'd have thought we ran, won the World Series. <laughs> but we just didn't lose every game. We finally won. We won one game because we were pathetic. And, uh, and one of our assistant coaches, Mr. Falsey, who was our neighbor, uh, said, Greg, if the other team scored 15 runs, you guys can score 15 runs because we all put our pants on the same way. I was like, what? (laughs) I don't know what that means, but this sounds pretty cool. (laughs) The truth is, we, we are like other people. We may not have the, they might have a problem with gluttony toward food when you have a problem toward lust. And, of course, if you're a glutton, your credentials are more obvious. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so he, he he says, I'm not an extortioner, unjust, adulterer, tax I fast twice a week. He starts listing all the good, goody-two-shoes things he does. I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector standing far off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying... God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be, will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Philippians 3, uh, you should read all the way to verse 11. I just put verses 2 and 3 in there. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers. Whenever the Bible says beware, what it's saying is everybody has this problem. Everybody and if you think you don't have it, you're most deceived. So you better pay attention to the fact that you got this problem. That's what beware means. Beware of the false circumcision. People who trusted that they had done a covenantal ceremony... But he says, we're the true circumcision because we worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Hopefully, you know what all that means because I really uh, went way over on the time here. And I'm going to have to work to an end and, and get into this same teaching next week. Understand, like, to glory in Christ Jesus means this I don't have any confidence that I'm a righteous dude. None. My confidence is, is totally in Christ. Period. I have no other leg to stand on. I can't go before God's throne with anything except I'm a merciful sinner. Be merciful to me the sinner, the tax collector said. My glory is in Christ Jesus, and I don't put any... Uh, confidence, in the New English translation says, in human efforts. I don't, you know, stand before God and and, and, uh, have confidence in the fact that I've read the Bible or done this deed or that deed or any other deed. The only confidence I have before God is that Christ died for me. When I yet hated him, and when I would have been in the... If we had lived in that time, I would have been in the crowd that was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Four or five days after the same people, when he was riding into the town on a donkey, cried, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the son of David, and so forth. Those same people were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, five days later. And if you don't know that this is the state of your Christianity, God help you. That's my faithfulness is like the dew. Right? That's, the scripture actually says that you're, you're to Israel, your faithfulness is like the dew. The dew doesn't last very long on a, in a summer day, does it? The sun comes up and the dew is gone and that's how long i'm dependable and faithful to the lord you can really count on me i'll be faithful until it starts to get a little warm <laughs> i i might be faithful for a few minutes maybe even by the grace of god when i'm really trying hard to might be faithful for a few hours but i've never been able to sustain it any longer than that in and of myself That's what that scripture means. By grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. You know what's amazing to me? Is people always, when they get to know our community, they they start saying, wow, like, people know each other's sins and so forth. You know what? I don't care if you know all my sins. I'll never forget, Catherine and I were at dinner with a pastor in Michigan once named Louis Moncrief and his wife, and he, I shared him my whole testimony, not just when I came to Christ, but when 17 years later I totally crashed and, and uh, left the ministry and, and uh, had to be restored over like 12 years or more. And he looked up at me, he was from, you know, from the South, he spoke with a Southern accent, he was actually a PhD in at Michigan State University, a very, very famous professor in his field. Good friend, uh, he's, uh, and he, he, looked, he said, "My God, you're the most honest person about your sins that I've ever met." <laughs> like He's like, "What? You're not supposed to tell people when you're a pastor that you're really messed up and screwed up and you're a poor Christian." Which is what he's saying is all pastors are supposed to be liars. That's what he's saying. I'm supposed to have this positive testimony that I'm just a wonderful Christian and I fast and... I'm pathetic. You know, Christ has... uh, on his robe, Revelation tells us, faithful and true. Hopefully I won't have a robe that says, harlot, foolishness, (laughs) inconsistent, (laughs) and false. Fatso, and boy, this guy really loves french fries. (laughs) So... um, So I'm going to actually have to start next week on two or three types of self-righteousness because theonomic and antinomian legalism is uh, something that's not in everybody's everyday vocabulary. And there's kind of an idea in America today like, oh, I just want to have simple stuff. I don't want to know big words and stuff. The problem is you are one of those things whether you know the words or not. And there's no chance you can ask God to help you with those things unless you know what they are. Right? So you need to know what's called theonomic self-righteousness versus antinomian self-righteousness. And we'll start there next week. And, we'll, we'll, and you can decide whether you've been more of a theonomic self-righteousness or more of an antinomian self-righteousness. But you need the Lord to deliver you from them, as do I. Amen.